0: Perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Peter, thank you so much for joining. This is a... uh first of its kind episode. I'm really excited to get into the meat of what I know is going to be a jam-packed episode. We got a lot to cover, but before we go there, tell us about you. Give us your background. Who are you? You know, I hate this part.
1: I've always hated this part, (laughs) but the team is like, Peter, you got to tell people what you've done. And so look, currently I am CEO of Bold Commerce, but my background, I started as a marketer. I was at Procter & Gamble and then I went to Activision, the video games company. And then sort of a long time ago, I went to Intuit and at Intuit, I had a whole bunch of jobs. I was there you know, over 10 years. So I was Intuit's chief marketing and product management officer. I ran the Quicken business and I had a bunch of other jobs sort of within that. And then I went to PayPal, had a great time at PayPal. I was PayPal's most senior marketer for a while. And then I actually ran PayPal's largest p and which is their uh, North American small and medium business p and Spent time at First Data, where I was their SVP of SMB product. And, you know, I've had my own startup and I've done a bunch of other things. I was CEO of North America for Zero for a while and other things like that. But I think the way I tell people to think about me is, yes, I've been a GM now for much of my career, but I grew up as a marketing and product oriented person. So I sort of come from that point of view.
0: Mm -hmm. And there's different types of CEOs. There's very product mind CEOs and then there's CEOs that are sales oriented that don't really focus on products, it's all sales. And then there's marketing mine. And I think that's something I have come to actually really appreciate about you is the way you think about go to market and positioning. And because often that's kind of farmed out and to think about that right from the top down, I think affects the whole company. So I'm not going to go any further until you tell me a crazy fun fact about you, though, because I want people to know that like you're a super interesting person. And I feel like every time I'm on a Zoom call with you, I Learn some interesting thing about you that I end up telling my wife late. And I'm like, you know what Peter does for fun on weekends? Or like, did you know there's different types of card games? Some are called tricks and some are called this. And like, anyway, there's there's always something I learn about you. What do you want to share as like a fun fact?
1: I am basically the entertainment industry's dream customer. Look, I love movies and TV shows. I play board games. I love video games. I read a lot. I listen to music. I'm sort of a massive music fan. And so basically, if it's entertainment oriented in some way, shape or form, I probably do it in some way. And so I always think through and people are like, well, how do you do all that? And the answer is, well, I can't do it as much as I want, <laughs> but but I do it all. And, and yeah, right. And so you're talking about board games. Obviously, I, I love playing board games and I've got a good board game group of friends, but If it's entertainment oriented, that's me. All my hobbies are indoors. I don't go outside.
0: One fun fact about you that I appreciated was a week ago or so, you were talking about this gaming group that you went to go play games with. And we were talking about the different types of games and like the trick types of games or something. And someone on the call said, Well, what's your favorite game? And you said, I actually didn't go for the games. I went for a specific person I wanted to play against. And I found that really interesting that that was the angle. It's not about the game, it's about the competitor and who it is. And that's the way your brain works. Like it's not.
1: Yeah. And in this case, it's not even the competitor. It's that, you know, the beautiful thing about board games is that you're sitting with people and hanging out with them. And for me, it's about the companionship. I barely remember if I won or lost a game 10 minutes later, right? Like for me, it was, yeah, I went to this board game convention, and there's one guy there who I only get to see once a year, pretty much, at this board game convention. And he brings all of these really interesting games, and he's a really interesting guy. And it's just sort of fun to hang out with him And as he pulls out these games that he bought that are only available in Japan or something like that. And we play together and with a few other folks, and for me, that's the joy of playing board games is that sort of level of companionship and friendship that comes out of it, even for somebody who I really only see once a year.
0: Yeah, it's like when I golf, I couldn't remember what I score after, but it's the game. So with all that wide ranging background of career and personal life, what brought you to Bold? And why did you decide to join Bold?
1: I came to Bold because I thought it was onto something and could be a massive business. And I thought I could help. It's really the combination of those two things for me, right? Is the, do I believe in what it's doing and who it's serving? Because that matters a lot to me, right? Sort of like, who do I serve? I think about that sort of every day. Who are my customers? Do I care about that customer? If I don't care about that customer, then I really shouldn't be in that business, right? And so when I was looking around for my next thing and I started talking to Bold, I love who Bold serves. I've worked with that type of customer for many, many years, decades at this point. And I thought that the way Bold helped them was different from everybody else and had the potential to be an absolutely massive company because of that. And then I liked the culture and I liked the people that I met, including you. And so, you know, you take the, it serves people I like. It's a product that I think is different and could be really big. And then I liked the culture of the company. And then you add the, oh, and I think I can help, meaning the strengths that I have match what this company needs. And that was why I joined Bold.
0: Let's dive into that for people listening, saying, well, okay, well, what does Bold do then? What's the mission of Bold? How do you sum it up?
1: Well, Bold has two divisions, and you have to think about it as two divisions. The first division is where it was originally born, which was one of Shopify's best app developers and biggest app developers. And we still have a great Shopify app business today that is awesome and serves a ton of small and medium businesses and even some larger ones incredibly well. And then the second division, which I think is the one we'll probably talk about most today because it's really sort of the exciting future that we have, is all around checkout and how do we completely revolutionize checkout for e-commerce. And I use that word revolutionize. Like as soon as I said it, I was like, oh my God, there's a guy who's going to be talking about revolution. But I really believe that what Bold is doing in the checkout space is revolutionary. And that's part of what makes it so exciting. But it's a different division than the, sort of the Shopify division. And I always sort of separate out the two.
0: Yeah, and I agree with your statement that we'll focus a lot on checkout on this one because I think that is uh, an area that we are trying to innovate in. And I think it's new territory that people, I think... Someone listening, why should they even care about checkout? Like, isn't checkout just something that collects your credit card and your address? Like, why does it even matter? Right. Yes. And it matters a lot. So, where do you want to start? Where should we start? Well, okay. Let's start with what is the state of checkout as you see it today?
1: It's a disaster. It's terrible. No, the state of checkout is embarrassing. I mean, honestly, as an industry, the state of checkout is embarrassing. And here's why I say it is so embarrassing it's fundamentally personalization has been one of the driving factors of e-commerce for the last, what, 10, 15, 20 years. And it started with search, right? It started with sort of like the personalization of sort of Google search, and then everybody's like, no, I want better search for my e-commerce site. And then it was, how do I personalize the homepage? And now it's migrated to how do I personalize those are my category pages and my product pages. And then it was, how do I personalize even sort of the promotions I show and sort of the cart, right? And there's like literally, you know, I haven't counted, but my guess is there's hundreds of companies that help e-commerce businesses do personalization, whether it's Covio or Optimizely or Bloomreach or Talon One or, right, sort of, or, or Adobe. Like there's tons of these companies that all do sort of personalization. And the reason why everybody's moving towards personalization is because it works, right? It's better for the consumer and it's better for the business. And then, you get to checkout. Like it works all the way through. They get it to the cart and you get to checkout. And it's just like a big blinking stop sign, red stop sign. It just stops. And all that personalization gets thrown out the window at the moment of checkout. Most e-commerce businesses have what? One or two checkouts. They're like, oh, I've got a one page and I've got a three page and I've got my buttons. And we should talk about the war of the buttons at some point. But like, you know, I've got the sort of payment buttons and that's my checkout. And that's, just not good enough. And so that's why I say it's sort of like embarrassing and bad. And when we say like, I know you wrote an article where you said, your checkout's not broken. It's just wrong for 70% of your customers. And this is where I'm like, no, I actually think it's broken. <laughs> <Right? But> like,
0: <laughs> you disagree with my article? <laughs>
1: no, I, I think your article was exactly right. And, but I think the fact that it's wrong for 70% of customers makes it broken. Like, I think it's just our definition of broken, but I understand why you wrote what you did and sort of like where it's going. but it, it made me laugh when I saw that. So how do we get here?
0: Why is it that state?
1: I will say I'm in this job nine months and I'm still learning the answer to that question. But as far as I can tell, it's because most of, what we now call generation two of checkout, which is sort of the platform checkouts are rigid and brittle. It's the combination of those two. They are rigid and they're brittle. The rigidness is, Oh, I can't make changes, or if I do want to make changes, it's very expensive. Right. Literally, we heard a story, and I don't know if it's just apocryphal at this point, but we heard a story that there was one brand was which is on one of the major platforms. They wanted to add a payment button and it was going to cost them over a hundred grand in agency work and sort of everything else. And that's a sense of rigidness, right? Which is sort of, and there's other platforms who are like, This is the way checkout is done. You don't change it. Our way is the best way. We know better than you. And that's sort of like this sort of rigid checkout. And then the other side of it is it's brittle. Everybody's afraid of breaking it. And part of the technical reason why it can be brittle is because every time you want to create sort of a new checkout flow, You have to re-plug in payments, you have to re-plug in taxes, you have to re-plug in shipping, you have to re-plug, like you have to do all these sort of connections and there's always a worry of, is something going to break? And so the fact that it's rigid and brittle has kept people from actually making the kinds of changes and experimentation and checkout that's absolutely necessary to maximize your business.
0: Yeah, well, I, I mean, the bottom line is there's a lot going on in checkout. It's capturing sensitive payment information taxes, shipping providers, like detecting fraud. like It is probably the most complicated portion of a website. So I mean, you said second generation checkout. Can you expand on that a little bit? What's first generation? What's second generation?
1: Yeah, so the way we think about it is like first generation checkout, which is now decades ago, was sort of this monolithic checkout, right? And that was take it or leave it. Your checkout can't be changed. But that was like when platforms were sort of like early in their creation and So Gen 2 was this sort of relentless focus on conversion-based checkout. And we should talk about the fact that the relentless focus on conversion is also just wrong.
0: I have that on my list to get to, for sure.
1: It's not that it's wrong. You know, that's a little bit of controversial, but it's that it's myopic. We'll get to that later. But so Gen 2 checkout was around, you know, sort of customize, but don't touch the checkout. We've got a single flow, maybe two flows, right? But it is sort of like you can customize that a bit, but don't really touch it. And we're going to maximize so the towards conversion, and then Gen three, which is clearly where we're heading, and, and I think we're at the, I'd say, the late early or sort of maybe early middle stages of this transition to Generation three. Generation three is about tailored checkout, which is bringing the personalization that has hit every other part of the e commerce stack to checkout, and that's around having hundreds of checkout flows, not one or two, all of which are around sort of designed, personalized. Tailored to a consumer journey, in such a way to maximize
0: revenue and profit. So Gen two is customized and tailored checkout for the brand, whereas Gen three is tailored for that specific customer.
1: Yeah, I think that's another way to think about it. Right? Is and when you say customized to the brand, it's also again it's limited, right? It's I, I do think of it as customized and don't touch it. You sort of beyond that, which comes back to that whole rigid and brittle thing. Right. You can customize it for yourself and your colors, your sort of things, maybe which payments you do, which sort of others, but it isn't designed for dozens to hundreds to thousands of different checkout flows. And that's like the key difference, which is you want dozens and hundreds if you are thinking about it from a consumer standpoint. And how do I personalize this for an individual consumer? And that leads you to sort of create lots and lots of different checkout flows.
0: So maybe explain that a bit because why isn't there, if you're a beauty brand, isn't there a perfect checkout for a beauty brand? Like why would they need different flows?
1: The best way is let's actually use examples because I think examples are the easiest thing. So I was abusing the relentless focus on conversion a little while ago, but let's give an example where conversion matters, right? So, okay, you you're sitting in the car your wife and kids have run into the store, whatever sort of store it is, and you're just sort of like sitting in the car. You are now bored. You pull out your phone, you open up Instagram, TikTok today. What are you typically doing? I'm guilty, Instagram. Okay, so you're on Instagram, right? And you're just basically doom scrolling through Instagram because you're bored. And what, of, of course, what do people do when they're bored? They shop. We have all sorts of research to when people are bored, they shop. Okay, so you see an ad that actually works on Instagram, which is awesome. That happens a lot. You're like, oh, I want that. Okay. At this point, conversion is everything because as soon as your wife and kids get back into the car, that sale is gone. So it's all about speed. Now, what is the typical checkout flow today? Or what is actually the typical flow? The f- typical flow is you click on the ad, it goes to a product landing page. You then hit add to cart on that product landing page. You then hit go to cart. Once you're on the cart, you then hit checkout. That's like the stent And if they're good, maybe they'll have some of the buttons from the button war, PayPal or Apple Pay or Google Pay, or maybe they'll do a one-page checkout. And if they're not very good, they'll do a three-page checkout on your mobile phone, right? Okay, now let's talk about what's better than that in the same scenario. I click on the ad or you click on the ad. You go to a product landing page and embedded in that product landing page is a one-page checkout. Now, what's even better than that? a checkout flow where you click on the ad and it immediately goes to checkout. There's no product landing page. There's no anything. It's like, you know they want it, right? And it goes to checkout. Now, do I know that this straight to checkout is going to be better? No, I don't. This is why you have to be A-B testing it. But this is an example of basically three different checkout flows all in the same situation, right? Which should be tested and known about sort of this. Okay. Now let's use the exact opposite end of the spectrum when solving for conversion makes no sense at all. You know from the referrer URL, which is a mile long, but you know from the referrer URL that the person has searched for your exact product. At this point, you know they're not going anywhere. Solving for conversion makes no sense. You want to be solving for average order value. And so the first thing you want to do is try and upsell. And then after you've sort of got them to sort of fully add that to cart, you want to be doing a cross-sell and then maybe another cross-sell because you know they're not going anywhere. This is the don't solve for conversion. Solving for conversion is actually gonna minimize your revenue. Right. And by the way, I've got like an example proof of this. I was talking at Shop Talk to a brand, big brand. They have, I can't name them, but let's they have close to a hundred websites globally. So they know what they're doing. They had a technical problem with one of the really famous one-click checkout buttons. I don't want to throw shades, so I won't say sort of which one. But they had a technical problem. They had to pull it down. Revenue went up. And everybody's like, what?
0: So they took off their one-click, whichever wallet pay it was. And revenue went up. Revenue. So the average, so more checkouts or higher valued checkouts?
1: Higher average order value. And the impact on conversion, meaning they all of a sudden, because people weren't like so easy to get through the payment, All of a sudden, they were able to upsell and cross-sell better. And because of that, their revenue, and so now they were in a debate on, they'd fix the technical problem, do they turn it back on? But what they learned there was that customer wasn't going anywhere. That customer wanted the thing that they had. And so therefore, like not making it so quick didn't impact their conversion that much. Even if it did impact it a little bit, it was more than made up for in the average order value increase. And so we talk about don't solve for conversion, solve for the power trio. And we sort of leaked into that a little bit already, but we should talk about the power trio is conversion,
0: average order value, and lifetime value. I'm making notes as we're talking because there's a couple things I want to touch back on, but I think this framework of the power trio is going to be really important to understand.
1: Yeah, look, the power trio, in the end, whenever I start talking to either a company or a brand or a retailer and they talk about conversion, I'm like, conversion isn't money. Money is money right? And fundamentally, conversion and average order value and lifetime value are three interconnected dials, right? You turn one, it impacts the other two. And so a relentless focus on conversion is not money. A relentless focus on conversion is a relentless focus on one of the three interconnected dials that make up the power trio, the checkout power trio. And so this is where we again come back to the way the industry even sort of talks about checkout doesn't work. It isn't right. Right. I mean, cause it isn't just about conversion and it never has been. And as soon as you say this, everybody's like, well, yeah, of course average order value matters. Right. But there's sort of like a language thing around sort of like, everybody seemed to be like, let's talk about conversion. And that was because it was, we're going to optimize this one checkout that we have. We can only optimize it one way. And so the way we're going to optimize it is for this checkout. So we can say we've got better conversion than our competitors. And like, and that's just not right. Right. And so that's sort of the power trio. And creating these checkout flows to help you optimize the power trio from a per consumer basis, that's Gen 3 checkout. That's tailored checkout, right? Where you're tailoring it to the consumer. And every time you just continuing that personalization journey.
0: The way I see it to your examples, you give the example of someone coming from a long tail Google search, you know, they're spearfishing a product. It could also be that customer is a logged in repeat customer who's bought 12 times from you in the past. You don't need to rush them through checkout. Like that's the same thing as in a retail store. Imagine you add something to your cart and someone comes right there with a wireless credit card thing and say, "Want to pay now? Want to pay now? Want to pay now?" Like, "No, I'm shopping. I'm adding more stuff here. Like I come here every week. This is where I do my shopping." Like you would lose so much money if you gave them the option to pay when they just added a loaf of bread into their basket.
1: That's funny. I haven't heard that analogy. I love that
0: analogy. I've not heard that one, and I think it's totally right. And I went through, this actually just happened to me last week. I saw an ad on Instagram for a book from Chapters, and I wanted to buy the book. And so I clicked to buy it, and it took me to the landing page on their site. This is not just Chapters. A lot of companies do this. And so I went to the site. The book was $19. I added it to the cart. It actually was very confusing to get to check out because I had to click view cart, go to cart. It didn't actually take me to the cart. Then I got to the cart and it said free shipping at $30. So I'm like, okay. So I went back to look for, and I, I think I was sitting in a car too in a, a drive-thru. And uh, I went back to look for something, another book to get that free shipping. I got called up on the drive-thru and I abandoned my shopping experience. Then about two days later, I was in bed and some people scroll social media in bed, I kind of or shop or do something. Anyways, I remembered, oh yeah, I was buying that book and I'm laying in bed and I go back to chapters. I add the book again. I found another book to <laughs> make it over free shipping. I got to checkout and they have no wallet pays and I didn't have my wallet on me. And for some reason, I do have my credit card stored in my phone, but their checkout didn't pull in maybe the way their checkout was labeled, didn't pull in the credentials. So I threw my phone on the desk and I didn't place the order. So I abandoned my order twice because it wasn't optimized. But if that first time I would have clicked on it, it would have taken me directly to a checkout with an accelerated pay. I would have bought it in a heartbeat, but I ended up not buying it twice because of it. And this comes back to,
1: again, how do you personalize that checkout? So I'm immediately like, okay, how do we test? First thing I would test is don't show the free shipping at $30 message so I've got all these signals, I know what device you're on, I know you're on a phone, I know you've come from an ad for that product, right? Now all of a sudden I've thrown you back into this shopping mentality of I have to go find 11 more dollars because otherwise I'm going to miss out on a deal. When you would have been probably totally fine paying the extra three or four dollars for shipping if you didn't know that there was a deal to be had, right? And so that would have been an interesting test. The second test I would have run is, okay, it wouldn't have been at $11, but it would have been pick one of these extra five books and you will get free shipping, right? Because now all of a sudden that's an upsell and I've sort of like got an upsell in the thing. And I don't know if that would have worked better or not. So again, there's experimentation in the checkout that they're not doing that they could easily do if they had something like bold. Now I'm just going to sort of say it. If they had something like bold, they could do anything like that and then sort of like test out the different flows to see what works.
0: Yeah, if they would have said, "Here's three more books related," that if added, you get free shipping. But it didn't. I had no idea what other book to get. I ended up searching my daughter's ten. She needed another book. I the next day when I came back, I searched like good fiction books for ten year old girls, and then I went down this rabbit trail. But then I ended up not buying it.
1: Exactly right. So the deal actually dissuaded you. Think about the purpose of the deal is to get you to do something, and here it was dissuading you. Because it wasn't personalized, it wasn't thoughtful. It is a great example of Gen 2 checkout as opposed to Gen 3 checkout, right? It's not personalized at all. It's sort of like, here's our best guess, generalizable thing. It's wrong for 70%
0: of customers. Gen 3 checkout would have been, I come from that Instagram ad, I get sent through an accelerated checkout. But if I'm shopping that store, looking at different categories, show me the upsells, show me the deals, but it was very different. On that wallet pay where the revenue went up, I heard a similar example and the brand, I don't know if it was, maybe it was the same person you're talking to, but one time I ran into the same thing and they discovered their average age of their customer was like 60 and older. And what they found out was elderly people are often afraid of wallet pays. It feels scary to buy with one click where Millennials, it's no problem. Like they're used to it all day long. Like, scan my thumb, pay, scan my eye, pay. But my mom, who's 70 years old, if it's one click, it's scary. Like, what is it charging? How do I know how much it's charging? Is it going to ship to the right address? Don't I want to see all my shipping options? Like, because they've never done it before. So they actually found that having wallet pays, if your demographic is like 65 and older, it affected it too.
1: Yeah, well, and here's the thing, right? Like you shouldn't have to decide, oh, my generalizable demographic is this. You can get signals around the age of that particular consumer in that particular shopping journey. And based on that, change your checkout based off of the personalization of the consumer, which is what you do on the rest of the site, except in checkout. It's again, it's just this insane thing because again, lots of sites are going to have people who are 20 and who are people who are going to, who are 70. And so, don't like, and again, like, you don't want to solve for the minimum sort of worst generic average. You want to
0: specialize it, personalize it for the person. If someone were to tell you there's one perfect product page, this is the ultimate converting product page, you would laugh at them. You say, well, no, not if I sell beauty products or if I sell consumer electronics or if I sell hardware. Like, there's just different pages. And it's the same thing for checkout. I just want to make this clear. So, there's flows and there's the power trio. And the power trio is saying, There's conversion, there's average order value, and there's lifetime value. And you can dial them up or down. And then to dial one up, you use a flow to dial up conversion. So the flows are what you're using to turn those dials. Absolutely right. And there's no limit to flows.
1: There is almost everywhere else. But like the thing that bold is driving is the fact that you should have an unlimited number of flows so obviously sort of based on the amount of traffic that you have, but that your checkout should be tailored to that consumer.
0: What's a flow you're really excited about?
1: There's actually two in particular that I'm very excited about. One is checkout without the whole rest of the conversion flow, right? So we've got some companies who, okay, let me give you two examples. One is video. So right now we know that the rise of influencers over the last X number of years, right? That was the startup that I sort of did was sort of in the influencer space, the creator space, the idea of basically video selling. Checkout on video selling is still quite awkward. And what we have done because of this sort of gen three checkout is you can now bring checkout straight to the video. And so there's this awesome demo of basically a drawer. So when you're watching the video, right? You can pop up the drawer and the product that that person is is already in the checkout. There is no product page. There is no anything. The whole product page is the video. That's all point of the sales video. And so popping up that drawer and then just sort of checking out right then and there, which is sort of this idea of bringing checkout to multiple places. Another variation of that is putting checkout in an email, like directly in the email, you just put the checkout, right? Instead of the, hey, you abandon your cart, come back to your cart. And so whatever, it's like, imagine, hey, you abandoned your cart, Check out, like right in the amount. So this concept of bringing checkout everywhere, that excites me a lot. And I, I think we're really early in that. And I think there's some very interesting experimentation that is happening that can be quite powerful and make people a lot of money and make a lot of consumers really happy. And then the other one that I'm really interested in is sort of a conversion to average order value transition, which is you solve for conversion quickly, meaning you get the person to buy the thing, but then you immediately pop up. Do you want to add something to this order? And that is tricky today, right? Because what you're doing is fundamentally, if they say yes, and they choose to add whatever it is that you popped up, you're doing a second hit to the credit card. But for the merchants, it's in the same order, meaning they want to ship once to sort of like a single ship. And again, we enable that now. And I think there's a lot that can be done there, which is just add this to the order for the merchant. They can still ship it all at once, but it's multiple payments because you're solving for conversion. And again, this experimentation around how to maximize the power trio. I think those two are super interesting to me.
0: I'm going to say a couple that I really like, and I would actually encourage anyone, we never are salesy on this podcast ever. This is the only time I'm going to take advantage of it. But if you go to boldcommerce.com slash demos, or you just go to our main page and click see tailored checkout. There's a whole bunch of examples and more are getting added all the time because it really is limitless. But I think that there is a huge opportunity in print media. I'm seeing a lot of brands were overloaded with digital advertising and emails. But when you get something in the mail, there's a lot of stats that like the average print flyer stays on a counter for three weeks before it gets thrown out. It's seen multiple times You can't just click spam when you get like a five by seven postcard in the mail. You have to physically hold it in your hand. But the challenge has always been you can put a QR code on there and take you to the website. That's pretty good. Or you have the URL. Maybe you're even awesome and you have a coupon code where it's like, use this coupon code to get some special offer. But what if you just scan the QR code and it adds maybe a bundle of products It's a spring lawn care package that you need fertilizer, seed, a number of things that with one scan, it adds all three at a 20% discount. The person doesn't even have to enter a code and it's just an accelerated payment. I can, with one click, purchase everything I need for my spring lawn care package. I think we're going to start seeing brands really take advantage of that flow just because right now there's an opportunity to take advantage of print. Like My email is overflowing with... (laughs) Spam emails, but my mailbox isn't. People have gone away from print because they think digital is the future, but now brands are starting to realize that there's a big opportunity for print. So that's one. Another one I think is I've recently been talking to a lot of brands in regulated industries, CBD, alcohol, where, so for CBD, this has come up a lot where if you have products on your site that have any CBD in it at all, it could just be like a CBD candle. If you sell anything with CBD oils, there's only a few payment gateways you can use. And generally they have very bad rates. Like you might be paying three and a half percent because it's considered a regulated industry. This is the same for like firearms or anything that's considered a weapon, like even like bows and arrows and different things. You have to use certain gateways. But so for these CBD brands, often 70% of their products don't have CBD in them. They only have some. They might be like natural health companies. They sell vitamins, but some do. But what if they can create a different flow based off of what's in the cart? So if they're buying products that have CBD, it uses a certain gateway. Or if they're buying products that don't, they use a different gateway where they're getting 1.6% processing rates because it's not a regulated good. And that's just an example that can make real bottom line dollars. Like if you can save a percent on 70% of your orders that don't have those products in, like I mean, that's a flow that A customer wouldn't even notice, but it's a flow that would make a massive impact on the revenue to the brand. That's
1: a great example in our our first example of the lifetime value part of the power trio, because fundamentally choosing a different payment gateway behind the scenes absolutely impacts the lifetime value of that customer to you. And so based off of what's in the cart, I mean, the example you just gave is based off of what's in the cart, I choose a different payment gateway. Right. The cheaper one, if I have no CBD, and the more expensive one is just like a perfect example of how do you turn the dials. We always sort of talk about it as when you're building these tailored checkout flows, it's really four things. Right. Like the first thing is what is the segment, right? Like, and the segment could be a cart, like you just said. Like, you know, sort of it could be where they are, it could be the device, right? It could be the customer profile, what you know about them, could be sort of like any signal that you have, any personalization signal. Then you choose your interface, which is like one page, three page, buy now, a drawer, checkout, right? Like there's sort of all these different kinds of interface. But then there's the two optimizers. There's the experience optimizers, which is like, which shipping options do I show? Which loyalty do I show? Right? Sort of like, which payment methods do I show? Those are like experience optimizers for the consumer. And then you've got your business optimizers, if you're the merchant or the retailer, where it's like, oh, What payment gateways or what tax providers or what shipping carriers do I want to push somebody to certain shipping carriers because I'm incented or to certain payment buttons because I've been incented by them, right? There's all these other kinds of things that really impact the bottom line. You can build these tailored checkout flows where you take your segment, you take your interface and then take your experience optimizers and your business optimizers and combine. That's what makes up sort of these checkout flows. And the mixing and matching is all the A-B testing that you want to do and is unbelievably powerful.
0: Here's one that gets me all the time. This is like a pet peeve of mine. Brands have buy now, pay laters. And there's Zip, there's Klarner, there's Affirm, there's Sezzle. I guess Sezzle's part of Zip now. There's, There's dozens of them. And typically the way that brands engage with them is these buy now, pay later companies approach the brand and say, we want to be your buy now, pay later solution. And they give them some type of rates where it's like the brand might not pay anything. The brand might pay a small percentage. They negotiate, they go back and forth. And then that brand signs with Klarna, let's just say. And then another brand might sign with Affirm. But it's the customer's relationship with the buy now, pay later that matters, not the brand's. It's completely backwards. And so that's like Visa going to the Company and saying we want to be your exclusive credit card, and no company in their right mind would say, "Well, okay, we'll sign an exclusive deal with Visa and we'll only accept Visa, not Mastercard, not American Express." No, they want to accept everything because I like to pay with American Express. Someone else likes to pay with Visa. Someone else likes to pay with, to pay with Mastercard. It doesn't so? What a brand really should have is they should accept all of the major buy now pay later's. Ideally. In some countries, like in Europe, a firm is quite big. In America, Klarna, I think, is the leader. And so, like, maybe if that customer is from the United States, default it to Klarna, but show the others kind of in an accordion that they can open and see. If they're from the UK, default it to a firm. And then once that customer has used that one time, maybe always show that because I have an affirm account. I don't use it that often, but I have one. But let's just say I use it all the time. And now, if I go to a site and they have Klarna, I'm not going to create a Klarna account. I don't even know if they do credit checks or not. I don't want to create another buy now, pay later account. So that brand is losing out on a potential sale because they're only offering one. And that's something that would be very easy to solve in the payment optimizer category. And so like, it's a small thing, and sometimes we talk through it really quick, but it's a powerful, powerful thing for conversion.
1: The button war is a big deal. right? I mean, you think through, right? Like we are in the midst of the button war. So you think through what are all the buttons that you could potentially have on your site, right? I've got PayPal, I've got Apple Pay, I've got Android Pay, I've got Amazon Pay, I've got MasterPass and Visa Checkout and American Express Success Checkout and Chase Pay. And, and that's just the ones off the top of my head. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch, right? And then We haven't even touched all the buy now pay later ones that you just saw, and then I've got pay with Klarna, pay with a firm, pay with like you know sort of all these other buttons. And you sit there and it's like, well, am I just going to show them all? Which ones are best? Again, this should be experimentation. You would never do this in anywhere else on your site. It would all be personalized like to the customer or based off of the signals that you have on that customer around sort of like how do you make it sort of clean and clear for them to see? And so you want to have this balance of choice. But we know that too much choice also overwhelms and makes the page look cluttered and people don't know where to find. And then they're looking for one, but they can't even find it because you've got 13, 15 buttons sort of of listed. And again, all of this should be fully testable, but isn't. And again, you sort of say, why isn't? Well, because rigid and brittle. Gen 2 checkout is rigid and brittle. Everybody's afraid of, oh, if I turn this on or I turn this off, if I add this, something's going to break. Right. And again, the way something like bold, the way we're architected, you just plug it in once. And then anytime you want a new checkout flow, it's just there. And so companies don't want to add the three or four buy now, pay laters, partly because they have to do all the work to integrate them. Right. And so the TCO is just doesn't make sense. Right. The total cost of ownership it's just too high. And so, so they don't do this. Whereas if you go with a bold, right. Like, and I keep saying, like, but the truth is, this is what it is that we do and why what we do is really amazing is, It all comes with, we've already done all those integrations. And so you just integrate Bold, and then you get access to all these and you can turn them on and turn them off and experiment and learn based off of the signals that you get. Because the button war is insane right now. And it's only getting worse, right? Because more and more people want their buttons.
0: Yeah, I've been on sites where it's a wall of wallet pays. Choose your payment, yeah. Talk a little bit about who Bold integrates with, like as far as platforms, but then I also want to talk a little bit about composable commerce, what that means, how that plays into checkout, I know you talk a lot about defining checkout as a category and it hasn't always been that way. Sorry, I don't want to ask too many questions before I end here, but where does bold checkout work? And then let's go into composable commerce and what that means. Okay, checkout
1: is a category, right? And if you think through... Let's just start with what makes up any e-commerce platform, right? And any e-commerce platform, you could argue around like the buckets that I'm using, but it's roughly you get like, you have to have a product catalog, you have to have an order management system, you need a content management system, you've probably got CRM, promotions, search, pricing, and checkout, right? Like these are the things that sort of like make up a commerce platform. And if you think through a lot of those have already become what I consider to be categorized. Search clearly is, right? Right. CMSs clearly like we could talk. What are the CMS companies? What are the search companies? What are the OMS companies? Right? Who helps me create my product catalog? Right? There are companies for all of us. And now what you're seeing with somebody like bold is there's companies for checkout and all we do is the checkout portion. And this then sort of plays into sort of composable. And so the thing about composable is there's pure composable and then there's partial like composable is a concept, which just means I don't have to have a single monolithic. Platform. And you could go full mock composable, right? Which is, I'm not going to have a platform. My platform is going to be, I've stitched together the best in breed across all of them. And if that's the case, you're going to choose Bold because we are the obvious choice. We're the leader
0: in sort of like pure composable. Bold checkout is the only mock certified.
1: So, yeah, we are the only mock certified checkout when we were mock in its first year of existence, right? And so, and so we've been sort of like a part of that movement. But then you say, okay, what's the partial? And and we talk about it as don't replatform upgrade, which is you can start a composable journey. You don't have to go full composable right out. That can be kind of scary, actually, right? But what you can do is start a composable journey. So as an example, we have a customer I'm not allowed to talk. They're really big, right? Sort of like a very big customer. They're on uh, Oracle, Commerce Cloud today, right? And they wanted to sort of start down the composable journey. And they said, we're going to start with checkout. And so they're, they're integrating Bold today. And their personal belief is that that was the single best place that they could drive quick and large payout to help them pay for any other sort of upgrading that they want to do. They might not necessarily fully replatform ever. They might, they might not. But the big thing is they were able to peel off a very valuable part of sort of what was the platform. They made that part composable and working with bold they delivered the sort of the quick gains that they knew they could get and so i think that's sort of like where composable is moving which is again just a really a continuation of history right this isn't a new thing people have peeled off their search for probably what 15 years maybe 20 right they've peeled off their cms they've peeled off their oms now they're just peeling off checkout
0: there's companies that have been composable for a long time but now it's a coined term i guess gartner coined it a couple years ago and it's the term. That brand you're referring to, I love their approach because typically when someone's going composable, I often see content management software as usually the first step towards it. Sometimes it's search, often it's content. And then the reason why is because they think, well, the easier we can make content to manage, that means our marketing team can push updates faster, we can run promotions faster, schedule page updates, and if we can have a better experience, we can convert more customers. But I think often the reason they start with content is because they don't even know that that exact same approach is true for checkout, but it's just not known. And if you apply that same thought process or approach to checkout where I want to push updates to checkout, create better experiences. The same way we talk about product pages and homepages and every other page, but I want to schedule updates and have better pages and have better, like all of that. Well, where do you want to optimize? Product pages or a page in checkout where people are ready to pay that 50% of people are abandoning where product pages, only if you're good, 2.5% of people convert anyway. But when you have people in the checkout ready to pay, and you're losing half of them, which one do you think you'll see the biggest bang for the buck? There's no question. Like, there's no question The checkout is the
1: faster, easier, and bigger way to make money. And by the way, happier customers. And that's everything from, like, load speed and buy now, pay laters, and buy nows, and changing the UX UI. Like, a 1% improvement in your checkout is actually a massive hit to the bottom line. You know, just 1%, let alone, like, we think we can do way better than that, right? Like, certainly double digits. And so there's little question. But again, people don't think of it. To your point, people think of checkout as being rigid and brittle. Gen 2 checkout, right? By the way, even if it's not rigid and brittle, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but, like, there are some, let's use Magento as an example, right? Like, Magento exists partly because you can do anything with Magento. And so people will be like, is Magento rigid? Well, no. Is it brittle? Yes, because you have to re-plug really everything in. But the TCO of building, right, the cost of building out checkout flows in Magento is insanely high. And so it's not only brittle, but it's also just costly. And so I guess maybe I should have said rigid, brittle, and costly earlier, but it's not like all the platforms are completely restrictive. That's not the case. Some are. Like anybody who is listening here is on Magento would be like, I could do that. And it's like, yeah, you could do anything in Magenta. You just don't. You just don't because it's too expensive.
0: Yeah. If you have the right tools, you can build a Ferrari. (laughs) The right parts. But so if you're a brand listening right now and they get it, they're shaking their head. They're saying, yeah, I see it, Peter. I see the benefits of checkout. I never really thought about it before. I never thought I could create different checkout flows by customer. I never thought about optimizing for conversion versus LTV versus AOV. I want to do it. Do you have any advice on steps you recommend they take? Or if someone's saying that to themselves in their head, what do you suggest they do?
1: Well, this is gonna be sound totally self serving, but it is the honest answer, which is you should be calling us, right? Like this is what bold does. We are at to your point, like we're the best. And we're the only one who's mock certified. We're the only one. And so there's no question in my mind that like. The first question you need to just ask yourself is, okay, what platform am I on? And, you know, sort of like, what are the capabilities within the platform? You know, it's simply a matter of go learn more and it depends on how you like to learn. If you want to learn by watching videos or sort of reading, then we've got content and blog posts and examples. If you want to learn by talking to somebody, which is how I like to do it, I always like to just pick up the phone and be like, tell me about this and tell me about that and So I'm like, you know, pick up the phone and we've got people who will talk to you or reach out to me or you. I'm like, we're trying to evangelize the future. And like, I love getting into fun conversations about checkout at this point, like it's just hilarious if you think about it. Oh my God, like I love talking about checkout, but I do. And so, but I think that's honestly the place to start is sort of by learning, because normally I would say, well, create a spreadsheet, start thinking about can this pay out? But like, honestly, there's no question that spreadsheet will pay out. There just isn't. So this is not a, oh, maybe I can make a 5% improvement and and I'm going to invest all of this and I'm going to make 5% back or 10% back, or it'll hit my hurdle of I've got to show that I can do a 30% return, right? Like we blow that away. It's not even close, right? And so I don't know. What do you think people would start?
0: Well, I know I agree and I didn't mean it to be, but you're right. I think something I'm excited about is there's starting to be some really good agencies that Like if you said a few years ago, I'm looking for an agency, like just go on Google and search for an agency, a checkout optimization agency. Like it didn't exist. You could find website optimization. And like you said earlier, there's every type of website A-B testing software, but there's specialists that they this is their entire job. But that just never existed for checkout. We're starting to not certify, but basically agencies are building a business on top of our checkout because they've realized now that it is customizable. They can create different checkout experiences by customer. And we're seeing some agencies do some really neat things that you have to remember, we're not always creating these checkout flows. Bold checkout is what's underneath it, but we've got agencies building out checkout flows that we don't even know what's being built. And so there's a good handful of them that if you reach out to us, we can put you in touch with them. I think in six months to a year, there's going to be, a dozen more, because it's an area that's growing quite fast. And maybe the agency that you work with right now will be pushing you to using a customizable, tailored third gen checkout soon. So I think the approach now is probably go through bold and we can point you in the right direction to these agencies. But in the future, I I don't think that would be the way eventually. That's our hope anyway.
1: I mean, we've added what, I think three agencies in the last month or two, couple months kind of a thing, like three really good agencies because as we're talking to these agencies, they get it. This is what they do all day, right? Like they totally understand what we can do for their customers, right? And so that's sort of like the beauty of this is like, it's always fun talking to other extras because like, oh, I totally get it. And I have this problem. Can we solve this problem? And it's like, yeah, because it's not rigid and it's not brittle. And based off of the signals, you can go personalize.
0: Let's end with a couple fun quick questions. I mean, I could talk about checkout for hours with you, <laughs> but I think that is a really good overview. And if anyone has questions, reach out on it. I'll, I'll put some valuable links in the comments where you can see a lot of different checkout flows. I think getting inspired is one of the big things. Like it's, you don't know what's possible till you know what's possible. You know, like people, I used the analogy the other day, you know, when people rode horses, they didn't want a car. They wanted a motorized or an electric horse. <laughs> like that's how we think. We think in steps. We don't think leaps ahead. And so I think for a lot, what we're doing is a little bit of a couple leaps ahead. And so we're happy to have that conversation. And I think the inspiration, like I've seen these light bulbs go off in people's eyes when they see it and they're like, holy cow, I never even thought about that, but that makes so much sense. And so it's fun. It's fun having these conversations. So what is the best purchase you've made online and the worst purchase you've made online?
1: I don't know what my best purchases, but I will say, let me give a shout out to two sites that I really like because they sort of fit my hobbies. I like art books. If you remember going back to the whole, right, I sort of, I really like art books and I would say some of my favorite purchases, maybe not like the best purchase ever, but my favorite purchases are when I get these art books and there's two art book specialists in the U.S. that I know of. One is Bud's Art Books by a guy named Bud Plant and the other is Stuart Ng Books. Ng is NG and so it's Stuart NG. And the two of them, honestly, what they sell me makes me happy. And because I just, you know, I love the creativity of these artists. And so I can just sit and look at art books for hours on end because of the joy that they give me. And so that stuff always makes me super happy. And my worst purchase was when I bought, I forget exactly what it was, and then I got a bead in the mail. (laughs) Like, so it was basically a scam site that, you know, sort of had this thing that I was looking for. I don't remember exactly what it was like. A kitchen item it was like a blender or something like that. It wasn't something as expensive as a blender, but they literally shipped me a single bead so that they could prove that they had shipped something. And so thankfully PayPal protected me and sort of like refunded. But, but that is the, easily the worst but most memorable because it wasn't like they just didn't ship. It's like, I got a bead, like a little teeny bead in a padded envelope. Like it was this sort of insane
0: thing. That's crazy. I've heard a lot of bad ones. One person ordered a book online and, but got like a micro (laughs) version of the book. You would never think when you order a book online to check the dimensions, but it was like an inch by two inches. (laughs) Anyways, what's your favorite online store? Again, I already sort of mentioned the two,
1: right? It's not like I'm shopping on them every week kind of a thing, but what I get from them Mm. brings
0: me joy. Do you have a brand that comes to mind when you think of a great checkout experience? So it doesn't have to be a store you like their products specifically or... But just any brands that come to mind that their checkout experience is great Look, if anybody's being
1: honest, they have to start with Amazon. Amazon's checkout experience is amazing and and honestly, they've done a lot on personalizing checkout. If you think through how they personalize checkout, right? Like they do a lot, and it's really impressive. My other sort of favorite one, just because it made me laugh and it was so good, was Vistaprint. <laughs> so when I was doing my startup, yeah. And I needed business cards. And so I I went to Vistaprint to get my business cards. Their checkout experience is like 80 pages. (laughs) I'm exaggerating, but here's the thing that they know. Once I designed my business card, I'm not going anywhere. They were not solving for conversion. And how do I sort of like do the quick conversion? Like I had already designed my business card. I wasn't going anywhere. And so then they tried to sell me mugs. They tried to sell me posters. They tried to sell me... Bumper stickers. But first, they did this amazing upsell. Do I want nicer paper for my cards? Do I want an embossed? Do I want? So it was like this master class. Like for me, and this is obviously, I was doing this well before I was ever in the checkout space, right? But like, I just remember this experience because I was like, this is a master class in how to be great marketers and great salespeople. Because first it was this amazing upsell, and then it was all this amazing cross sell. And only then you sort of check out. And it's it was just this memorable, how many times you, can you say you had a memorable experience? And it was just because I was so impressed by how thoughtful they were and what they did. And, you know, yeah, I was like, no, no, well, let me think about that one.
0: <laughs> you know, so Vistaprim was awesome. I had them actually written down when you were talking earlier about AOV. I was going <laughs> to mention them, but I ordered from them quite a bit too. And what's interesting is depending what you add to the cart, like if you add, they sell things that aren't customizable. Like you can buy like card holders and different things. And then they don't show you all those upsells and cross sells. Like it depends what you put in the cart. Like it's very, actually I would say Vistaprint is a bit ahead of their time with a third gen checkout. It's definitely worth checking out their checkout. No pun intended there. I always ask this to people. I feel like you'll have something. Do you have any favorite advice you give people or that's been given to you or that you would give yourself 20 years ago?
1: Wow. That's such a, Awesome and big question. And I'd say some of it, You know, I don't do very many podcasts, but I did another one with my friend, Heather Samarin, and we can put a link to it in, in the notes. And she and her business partner, they did a great job of interviewing me. And we sort of talked about product. The podcast is called Product Rebels. And so I can give them a shout out sort of this, for this Product Rebels podcast, because they did a really nice job of pulling stuff like that out of me. I think the one advice that I would give of anybody who's sort of working on their career The important thing is to understand what you're great at and take jobs that need what you're great at. That fundamentally, opportunity is created by being a star. And it isn't just a matter of like, take the first promotion or this sounds interesting or sort of like a lot of the other things that people consider when taking jobs, which are all very reasonable things to consider. But actually, one of the best decisions I ever made was when I turned down a promotion. And it was because the promotion would be into a role in the company that I did not think really fit my skill set. And so I was happy to wait another two or three months for that same promotion. This was early in my career. Right? So I was in a big company. They had lots of these sort of, you know, types of jobs. But I was like, I know that one's going to be up. And I actually had a real good conversation with a manager that said, this other one is going to come up in a couple of months. And I think that fits me better. And so it's really hard when you're young to be like, don't promote me immediately. But they're like, look, we want you to know you're first up. But I was like, yeah, but don't you think I'd be better for this? And he's like, yeah, I think you'd be better for this. Let's just make sure you're okay with that. And if I waited two or three months, I was promoted second, not first. Like, that's fine. But because that job really fit my strengths, I was able to keep being a star.
0: You know Adam Grant? I don't know Adam Grant. You would love him, actually. A lot of things you say remind me of him. He posted the other day, when considering a new role, the most important question isn't, can I do it? It's, do I want it? It's up to your employer to decide whether you're qualified. Only you can gauge whether you're motivated. And I think a lot of times we think, can I do it? Am I good enough? Well, that's not actually up to you to decide. If someone's telling you like, we're promoting you here, you got this job. That's up to your manager to know whether you're good enough. Now it's up to you. Are you motivated? Do you want it?
1: I would say I mostly agree with that. But here's the nuance that I would add to it, which is I actually think that you know yourself better than any company will ever know you, right? And they know what the job needs better than you ever will. So whenever I'm interviewing, I I actually frequently say this in the room. I'm like, look, you know yourself better than I ever will, no matter how much time I spend with you. I know more about what this job needs than you ever will, no matter how much time you spend with me. And so what we're trying to do is share information. And so I think this is a case of, people should know better than the company whether or not they can knock that job out of the park, right? In some ways, yes, they're the only ones who will know if they're motivated, right? But on top of that, the company will know better whether or not I can do this. I'm like, "Mm, yes, because they know more about what that job needs. But no, from the standpoint of you know more about yourself and what the two of you are really trying to do together. It's weird to think about interviewing as being a cooperative effort, but I really do believe that it is in many ways a cooperative effort of they want you to be great in this job and you want to be great in this job and you bring different information to that understanding and they bring different information to that understanding. And I think if I had understood that more clearly early in my career, I could have guided myself into jobs into sort of like even that much better. And like, I just wish I knew that decades ago. I won't date myself that much.
0: okay peter last question if you want listeners to remember one thing when i listen to podcasts i try to remember one thing can't remember everything if you want them to remember one thing from this episode everything we've talked about what do you want it to be your checkout isn't good enough
1: and you can fix it and improve it today we're already there we're in third gen right the tools are there you just have to know that they exist and think about how they could really improve your business. But the thinking about how it can improve your business is probably a 10-second conversation with yourself. The big thing is to know that there's no reason why personalization needs to stop at checkup. That's the biggest thing.
0: That's perfect. Peter, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I'll make sure there's links to everything in the show notes and really appreciate the time. And thank you, everyone, uh, who made it this far in the episode. And as always, if you have questions or you want to learn more about anything we talked about today boldcommerce.com and just uh, feel free to reach out on there there's a bunch of different ways you could contact us thank you so much peter thanks jay that's it for another episode of own your commerce if what you've heard has helped you in any way i'd love it if you'd leave us a review in itunes or spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast it's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word and if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast share it with a friend If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week.